Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Kicks and Picks podcast. We are continuing our summer series of State of the Club, and this episode is going to be focused on Manchester United. Uh, lucky for us, we have an expert joining us. It's Colin Dams from the Busby Babe and the Fergie Fledglings podcast. Colin, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. How's everything going so far? Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Scott. Um, yeah, things are going pretty good. Uh, went to the United Arsenal game in New York this past yeah. weekend. Uh, Going to see them in Vegas. Um, got to meet a couple players last weekend, too. That was pretty cool. So, yeah, yeah, just excited for a new season to start, even though it feels like the last one just ended. Yeah, you are you are one of the fortunate clubs you guys get to see uh, on the, the preseason tour in the States uh, this summer. Um, something that we've kind of missed in, in recent years a little bit, especially with COVID, but happy to kind of see some of these guys coming back over, getting the opportunity to see them, although in, in preseason form, um, still get to see them in person nonetheless. So, yeah, and uh, United won that game against Arsenal, right? I think 2 nothing had some uh, decent goals. Yeah, Bruno Fernandes and Jaden Sancho both scored. Um, it was, uh, I think Arsenal played their first team for like 80 minutes, which was kind of weird, but also, you know, I mean, take whatever chance you get. Yeah. to those players and uh yeah they looked fresh um yeah excited for the new year uh, a couple of new players coming in that we're excited about and uh yeah ready to get going yeah it doesn't help to get a little bit of momentum building under uh in the summer months at and then at the very least um uh, but yeah i think maybe we can kind of kick things off coming off a pretty decent season for united i know you know it, it didn't quite finish how it, it kind of looked like it could potentially as you know late in the season as like february but um, still got some silverware. You did win the Carabao Cup. Um, no matter what people say about it, it's a trophy. It counts. So um, always good to get a little something to put in the cabinet back at the uh, the training ground. You finished third in the Premier League uh, behind a, a Manchester City, who are always the top. And then Arsenal, who had a, a pretty resurgent season themselves. So maybe caught a little bit out by a, a you know right time, right place squad in Arsenal. Had a very disappointing end with that loss to the in the FA Cup to City would have secured a domestic double and were knocked out of the Europa League by eventual champion Sevilla. We talked about on this podcast, whenever Sevilla in Europa League, they are a different team. I think they finished in like mid table in, in La Liga, but it doesn't really matter yeah. when it comes to them in Europa. So no real shame in that one. I mean, when well, we what, played them, I think they were like 17th in La Liga or yeah. still, like they were still hovering around the relegation zone. It was I mean, that's just their competition. You know, it's um, if, if you come up against Sevilla, you, you can't make up, you can't make any mistakes. And that's exactly what United did. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And it's not even like it's the same manager. You know, they've, they've switched managers a few times in that during that time period. It's just they have some sort of weird Europa voodoo magic that, you know, takes them to another level when they're playing in that competition. But with all that said, you know, what was your real assessment on on the season last year? Were you happy with how things turned out? Were you left a little bit dissatisfied, especially with that FA Cup loss? You know, what's your general assessment of of the season as a whole? Yeah, I, I mean, losing a cup final just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, I, re I remember seasons when they won the Premier League and then they lost in the Champions League final. And that was it felt like a failure, even though, you know, we would kill to have that sort of season again now. Um but yeah, it, it's uh, it's one of those where if you presented us with it at the beginning of the season, you would t absolutely take it. Uh, winning a winning a trophy, qualifying for Europe again, um, and, and overall just having a nice first season under a new manager after you know what's felt like a, a never ending series of managers coming in and out, uh, identity crises, 
you name it with Manchester United. They've just not had things figured out after Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, there have been times, you know, like under Solskjaer, where it seems like they were headed in the right direction, which is why, you know, there's reason to be wary of some of the slip-ups towards the end of last season. The FA Cup final, one of them, losing to Sevilla, another. Uh, some of those losses on the road, Manchester City and Liverpool, both awful, awful road games in the Premier League. So things keep tabs on, but overall, I, I think a pretty positive campaign. Yeah, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there where it's, you know, compared to some of the turmoil they've been through in recent seasons, any sort of, you know, glimmer of hope would have been a welcome sign. And and I think there was going to be plenty of patience with Ten Hag regardless, but, you know, him getting a trophy basically mid-season is enough to kind of get everyone to buy in. Um Talking about maybe about the squad makeup a little bit more. You started the season with with Cristiano Ronaldo, didn't quite make it through the full season. Were there you know glimmers of of were there were there players that kind of stood out to you as, as like positive signs as hey these are guys that we're going to be able to build around and were there any players that maybe aside from Ronaldo that were maybe a little bit more disappointing in, in the way that they they performed over the season? Um, definitely ones that I was impressed by Lissandra Martinez, um, you know, coming in his first year, there was all of this talk from, you know, Jamie Carragher is the the one that everyone looks at because he's a former Liverpool player, but it really, it was a lot of people in the media were questioning whether a five, six, five, seven player could play center back in the Premier League. And from the get go, he looked, you know, totally in his element. He looked comfortable. He had a really good game against Liverpool that, you know, got United a win to kind of steer things in the right direction early in the season. And uh, I, I think you saw late in the year when he got injured and they had to go the last month and a half or so without him, just how important he had become. Um, as a passer, he was crucial for playing around some of David De Gea's weaknesses. So, you know, speaking of disappointing players, uh, that was something they had to figure out defensively and something, you know, Varane wasn't totally comfortable with either because he wasn't used to playing that way at Real Madrid. Um, you know, he had good ball, ball uh, progressors around him and in midfield, and uh, that just wasn't really his style. But playing next to Lissandro Martinez made him more comfortable, made De Gea more comfortable, and it allowed uh, Luke Shaw to kind of get forward and do his thing as well. So that that was definitely probably the one who uh, impressed me and caught me by surprise. Uh, Marcus Rashford, another one, though. Yeah. Um, you know, really, considering the season that he had the year before, there's questions about whether he even wanted to stay any around at United. I mean, obviously he loves the club. It was his boyhood club, but when you're that heavily criticized in the media for poor performances, it, it makes sense to question your future a little bit. And he really answered the critics, uh, both for United and England last year. Yeah. I mean, I think Marcus Rashford had a vein of form where he was like scoring or assisting a goal in like eight or nine consecutive matches or something crazy like that. Um, really caught yeah, he us. Never, he only had like one brace. Which was really weird because it was like uh, that stretch from January to March. Yeah, you get yeah one Marcus Rashford goal a game pretty much, and yeah, it was uh, they didn't come in in bunches in one one game or two games. He, he really spread out those thirty goals. Yeah, I mean, he really got his his money's worth out of that that one stretch uh, of time there, and and I think we did pretty well with it because we we kind of caught the wave and. We were taking like United with like both teams to score or United or Rashford, like anytime goal score pretty regularly. And he, he always came through. Um, so, yeah. And, and I guess maybe on, the, on that reverse side, you know, were there any players that maybe were were left as like, you know, disappointments to you or, or maybe you thought that you had higher expectations and then they didn't quite, 
you know, meet them um, that maybe you're looking for like a rebound season coming into this year? Yeah, um, I guess two that we really needed to to shine and they just didn't were David De Gea and Anthony Martial. Um, Martial, a little bit unfair, maybe in the criticism of him because he just couldn't stay healthy. But, you know, the, they say the best ability is availability in the sports world. And uh, Martial just has not had that over the last few seasons. And then David De Gea, you know, uh, you know, will be remembered rightfully as a great Manchester United goalkeeper. Um, it's been really sad to see somebody who for a good stretch of time was the only player who could probably qualify as world-class in the United squad. And uh, just the decline in form over the last couple of years has been sad to watch. There have been moments where he kind of stabilized. And I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Eric Tenog kind of realized that there were ways they could play around his weaknesses on the ball, uh, weaknesses when it comes to challenging crosses, playing out passes, things like that. And uh, it it worked for a time, but it it became pretty evident that that was a player they needed to move on from. And, you know, thankfully they had the wherewithal to do that quickly this summer. And, you know, maybe there were, there were some negatives to the way that they handled it um, that uh, kind of upset some fans in terms of respecting De Gea, but uh, overall it, it was the right move to move on from him. And Anthony was a player that came in last summer was a big signing. I think he played 20 plus matches in the premier league, but maybe the return wasn't as great in terms of like actually actual goals produced. Were you mm-hmm. happy with, you know, his season as a whole, or do you think he's just kind of taking some time to adjust the premier league? What what was your assessment of, of, you know, where his performances were on the season? Yeah, I wouldn't say I was particularly happy um, that he's kind of a divisive player amongst United fans because there's very clear evidence that he, you know, he's a good dribbler who takes the ball forward. And that's something that United United wingers haven't always done well. Um, there's some who prefer to kind of stick around up top. Uh, he probably defends a little bit more than Jaden Sancho or Rashford does. And his energy is really important too. But um, he's definitely a great, a scorer of great goals. He can bend it in like Aryan Robin, and it's uh, fantastic to watch. But uh, there are some times where it's like, you know, you have a right foot as well, Anthony. <laughs> you know, like you can take it to the byline and you can play a pass across, or you can take a touch and cross it. You don't have to dribble past everyone. It's just um, hopefully a case of, you know, figuring out where he fits in the team and what he needs to do in the moment, because there were times where he was a very good player. And, you know, he showed promise of the 80 million pound price tag that was paid for him. But um, yeah, still, still definitely kind of caught in the middle on him him for now yeah i think that's that's almost kind of uh a common thing that that happens a lot of times with some of these younger brazilian players where they have that class and maybe that little bit of flair and they have those worldies that they kind of pull out from time to time where you can really see what their potential is but you know getting them to fit into whatever system the manager's trying to play especially when they're young i think anthony's 22 23 still you know, they're still trying to figure out, you know, what their professional, you know, uh, approach will, will have to be. And sometimes those are the growing pains you have to deal with. But yeah, I think, you know, with time, he's going to be a, a really strong uh, player for for United moving forward. You mentioned that, you know, it's been a, a tumultuous time, you know, trying to find the replacement for, for Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, Ten Hag came in last summer. I think there was a lot of optimism around him especially what he he managed to do at Ajax um and, and you know his previous stints 
where do you stand with with him as the manager right now? Are you really happy with where he's going? Would you like to see him at the club for for many many years, or are you still taking some time to assess and, and see you know what his ultimate uh, you know turnout is going to be in, in as a manager of Manchester United? Uh, I've I've been really happy with his first season. I, I think more than anything, it seems like uh, the discipline is back a little bit there was that story earlier in the year where Rashford was late for practice and he was benched for the next game came off the bench scored a goal was asked about it post game and was like yeah you know this is this is how it is and you know you have to follow the rules uh there's there's no exceptions even for the most important players like someone who had scored in five straight games so that's been really positive to see there's been all sorts of reports as well uh so Carl Anka was talking about this on the athletics man united pod uh, last week that previously there have been these players like Paul Pogba or Zlatan Ibrahimovic, uh, Romelu Lukaku for a time, I think was, was looked up to, to this way that were kind of the leaders in the dressing room. They controlled the dressing room and they were very influential when it came to uh, kind of swaying the way that the squad felt about things. Um, now it's, you know, it seems like it's Eric, Ten- uh, uh, excuse me. It seems like it's Eric Ten Hag's dressing room. Um, can get tripped up over his name <laughs> every now and then, but um, yeah. he just uh, he he commands respect from the players that um, it, it's helped him in those situations, like you know Cristiano Ronaldo, the way that he left, yeah, exactly. that very easily could have derailed uh, United's form. It could have been a media storm in all sorts of ways. In a way, it was a blessing that it happened right before the World Cup because by the time they got back, they'd gotten over it. But United didn't miss a beat when they got back. You know, they were like. You know, we don't have a center forward that's healthy, but we're going to figure out a way to do it. Marcus Rashford is going to be our our primary source of goals. And they just ran with it because you have to have that attitude of when things get tough, you know, things don't stop. <laughs> you know, the, the Premier League season is very long and it's very grueling. Um, and you have to have the attitude and the discipline to get through it. And I think uh, that's been a positive from Eric Tanag. Um, so I, I, I'm really looking forward to what else happens there's an overall vision you can kind of see in the way that they recruit. Um, yeah. Things just, uh, they feel a lot more positive than they, they have for some time. Yeah. I think that, that seminal moment, it seems was that how Ten Hag handled Cristiano Ronaldo, because it was very evident to pretty much anybody that was watching United games on a regular basis. United looked a better team when, when Ronaldo was not on the pitch and, Cristiano Ronaldo is is a massive figure, not just in in you know world football, but also in in world sport. Right, he's as recognizable of an athlete as you can find in the in the world right now. But he also means a lot to Manchester United, particularly obviously coming through the ranks there during Sir Alex Ferguson's time. So it's such a delicate situation that has to be handled where it's like, you know, we have to do what's best for the club. You know, no one person is bigger than the club. Everyone always says it. And if there's a time to prove it, it's it's with a guy like Cristiano Ronaldo. And so I thought for him to kind of handle it the way that he did, obviously Ronaldo did not look that great going out the door. He had some of his, you know, storming off the pitch moments. Um, but to yeah, me, that was yeah. kind of when we all took note and we're like, oh, Ten Hag is, at least from the man management standpoint, he's the real deal. And as long as he has the tactics, which he showed at Ajax, he, he does, um, he's probably going to be around at United for a while. Yeah. I, I think it helped Tenog's case that kind of from the start of, of his first season in the summer, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo very clearly did not want to stay. You know, there, yeah. there were reports 
his his agent Jorge Mendez is no uh you know he, he will talk to the media people know that yeah um, and there, you know he was linked with pretty much every club that qualified for the Champions League he was even linked with going back to sporting and it became pretty clear that nobody wanted to pay the money that it would it would take to to get him and we we know that for a fact because they had the chance to do it for free they yeah. they had the chance to do it without paying a transfer fee just you know give him the outlandish wages that he wants and nobody nobody bit um so i i, I think eric tenog kind of realized he maybe had the upper hand in that and that, that he didn't really have to say that much he just had to let cristiano cristiano ronaldo show everyone who he really was and um you know he kept the composure to keep the dressing room and the players supported him and you know they had a they had a really good season after that and it, it it was a big deal because they lost one of the only players who could play center forward in a squad that does not have a lot of yeah. center forwards, which is yeah. remains a need for them. Yeah. And Hey, listen, that's a great segue because I think now that we kind of have the assessment of, of the season that was uh, we can get to the season that is now, which is transfer season. United have been a little bit busy. Um, they made some some moves already. That's they've got Mason Mount in from Chelsea. I'm uh, going to address some of their their midfield needs there. Andre Onana is the recent name that's come in. Going to be replacing David De Gea. I should say Golden Glove winner David De Gea. So you know, still some some big shoes to fill there, despite his declining in performance. There's also rumors of of Rasmus Hoyland from Atalanta maybe being looked at around 60 million pounds. It's kind of you know if the fee is right. You know, it seems like he's, he'll be a good fit. What's been your your opinion so far of the business that United have managed to get gotten done so far? And what are some of the holes that you think still need to be filled? I, I think it's smart spending on players who immediately raise the floor of the team. Um, Mason Mount is most likely an immediate upgrade on Christian Eriksen and the role that he played last season. You know, not, not to speak ill of Christian Eriksen because, you know, he's, he's a beloved figure for a reason. He's a very good player. He's overcome a lot to, you know, get back to playing at a high level in his career, but he is getting older. And we kind of saw towards the end of the season that he doesn't have a full 90 for 50 games in him anymore. Um, So, you know, that you have Christian Eriksen as a depth piece. You have Mason Mount to probably start most games. Um, And he's a very good player. Um, I, I think it would be hard to judge any Chelsea player based on last season because, you know, yeah, it's, it's a very good point. <laughs> indescribable mess at that club uh, over the end of that, that campaign. But previously, Mount, Mount had been a very, very good player for them. He's very creative. He's a hard worker and he listens to the manager's directions, which Eric Tenog likes in players. Um, so, yeah, excited about him. Andre Nana has, has big gloves to fill, like you mentioned. Um, we don't know a whole lot about how he's going to be as a shot stopper, but you know, in terms of what Eric Tenog wants goalkeepers to do, and in in terms of what modern goalkeepers are asked to do, he's right up there with some of the best in Europe. So um, the attention will be on him if mistakes are made, but um, you know, it, it seems like he has the talent to pull through. And then uh, I guess the other good thing about those is that they didn't have to spend an outrageous amount of money on either. Um, they paid about what people valued those players at. Um, they didn't have to get into really big bidding wars. And all of that is important because they're really restrained by fa- financial fair play after the Antony deal last summer. Um, well, both the Antony and Casemiro deals. Um, the, the credit card is almost maxed out. <laughs> so 
they, they really have to be smart with their money. And I, I think they got two players so far who, you know, were within their budget and they immediately make the team better. So uh, hopefully they can do that with Hoyland, um, another really talented young player, not a hundred million pound striker yet, but you kind of want to, you know, Polly Questel from my podcast, he likes to say you like to find the hundred million pound striker before you have to pay a hundred million pound. He's so. only 22. You know, it's like, he's got plenty of time to develop into that. You know, if you have a guy that's a hundred million pounds before the age of like 23, then I mean, that's a real player. That's like Mbappe level. Yeah. I mean, we'd all love to have Harry Kane, Victor awesome. one of those guys uh, th- that would be incredible. But the, the next best thing is to find somebody within your budget who can become one of those players. Sure. Um, so yeah yeah excited. It, it's, it sounds like we might get uh the fiorentina midfielder safian amrabat as well oh amrabat yeah a lot he's of solid like, but he he's he's good for you know him and casemiro would be an interesting pairing because like both of those guys right. are good for a card at least once a match you know yeah, yeah so uh, it, i mean look it, casemiro has a bit of a reputation now in england um whether they were all deserved or not he was suspended on three separate occasions yeah. so um yeah having somebody who can fill that role uh who is you know more competent on the ball than scott mctominay you know yeah. n- nothing against scott mctominay we love him he's a very passionate player but he's not he's not casimir <laughs> yeah they cannot they can just rotate through when they're they're suspended on on red cards you know right. one guy goes <laughs> out the next guy steps right in don't step, miss a beat um, yeah. I got I got some good news for you. Is we had uh, Nima Tavali Rudsari on from our for our inter state of the pod um, a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke glowingly about Andre Onana. So um, I know you're you said remains to be seen what you're getting from him on, on a shot stopper basis, but he looked really good when he was with Ten Hag at Ajax, and I, I don't think there's any reason why he can't you know at least get to that form, if not better, um, with with Manchester United. Yeah, the thing with goalkeepers is a lot of is it about eh, a lot of it is about confidence, and uh, to be starting for a club playing in the Champions League from the age of nineteen, um, and then last season to have the campaign that he did in the Champions League to get to the final with Inter, um, you know, it, it really seems like he's on the cusp of being one of those really big goalkeepers in in the game of football, and that that's what United need. Yeah, um, we kind of talked about you know who he's replacing, you know. David De Gea had, I think, 17 clean sheets. Is that right? Last season. Um, yeah. So a pretty solid return there. Obviously, goalkeepers are are not the only reason why clean sheets occur. Um, Harry Maguire also expected to depart. Um, he's at least been stripped of his captaincy, which usually leads to uh, maybe it's time for us to go our separate ways type of discussion. Do you see any, you know, loss there aside from just, you know, the the on the pitch performance from either of these players? Or do you see like more of a hole in terms of what they leave behind in the locker room? Um, I mean, Harry Maguire is a well-respected player in the in the dressing room. That's part of why Solskjaer gave him the captain's armband only five months into his United career. Um, and he's he's a very vocal player. He yells a lot if you, you know, watch those games from the COVID season, you can hear him yelling words that probably should not be repeated here. Um, but uh, a very vocal player on the back line. But uh, the thing about him is they already kind of replaced him uh, last season. You know, he didn't start anywhere near as many games as he had the previous seasons at in his United career. It does look like, you know, if he's not on the way out, he's going to have to be okay with coming off the bench and maybe fighting for, a spot if something happens with Varane, who has had injury problems. So having a backup as experienced as Maguire is 
you know, is nice to have. But if somebody offers you 50 million pounds for your backup center back, you'd probably take that too. So uh, I think United are going to be shrewd with their negotiating tactics on Harry Maguire, but um, I, it, it definitely seems that they're open to, to losing him. And I, I think the defense will be okay. I don't, I don't hate Harry Maguire like a lot of United fans do. Um, I, I think he's absorbed a lot of the blame for that should have been shared the, the season two years ago, but uh, he's, he's in really poor form. And if United isn't, going to give him the opportunity to find that form again it's it's probably best for him as a player to find somewhere else if if they get you know 40 50 million pounds for him do you think they go out and get another center back to to replace him or do you think they're good with what they have now i would say they probably uh offer a contract to johnny evans um he's been with the the squad for preseason training it, it seems like everything's gone well and the eric tanag is open to you know giving him a contract if it comes to that um, they, they just have too many other needs in the transfer window right now. Um, they, there's probably some players at the youth level that they could look to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I could also see them looking for another left footed center back. Cause, um, Eric Tanag really likes the symmetry on the back line, which is why, uh, when Martinez did get hurt, Luke Shaw kind of filled in at center back mm-hmm. instead of Harry Maguire or Victor Lindelof in that spot. Um, he, he really likes having left footed players on the left side of defense. So um they they make maybe could go in that direction although i don't think we're going to get yashko vardiol or anyone anyone like yeah i think he's he's a deadlock to go to city at this point which is unfortunate because that's the definition of the rich get richer yeah he's Uh, probably the next best (laughs) defender in the world speaking of rich getting richer uh we've got perhaps maybe the most prolonged club sale in history, it seems with uh, the Glazers looking to maybe finally offload their, their ownership stake in Manchester United. There's two bids that we know about. Uh, it's the Qatari bid with uh, Sheik Yassim. Um, and then there's Jim Ratcliffe, who I believe is a Manchester United fan um, working with Ineos. He certainly also- says that he's a United fan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the sale actually gets done? Because I, I know there's been a lot of delays. There's been lots of, you know, media rumors, which who knows how much truth there is, probably very little um, around maybe the Glazers aren't actually looking to do a full sale or are looking just for like a minority stake investment. What do you think ultimately happens with everything that's going on in, in the Glazers sale world right now? Yeah, so the the other big name from you know interested parties is the Rain Group, which is mm. um, yep. it's kind of like a Wall Street investment fund. Uh, they were interested when the Chelsea deal went down. Um, there were, you know, a, a, there are a ton of other like hedge fund people who were interested in the club. I'm sure that have not put on the PR campaign that Qatar Jim Ratcliffe have. Um, though it, it does unfortunately seem like if it if there is a full buyout, it's going to be one of those two. Um, neither feels like a great option as a fan, to be honest. Um, you know, there's all sorts of reasons that smarter people will talk about when it comes to, uh, state ownership of a club. Um, and then Jim Ratcliffe, you know, what, what are his intentions of buying Manchester United? Are they really as nice as he says they are, or is this kind of another way to, you know, bring in people like the Glazers who are more interested in the dividends that come with owning a Premier League football club? Um, that this is a an incredible amount of money <laughs> at stake here. So, um, I, I I think anyone's intentions in buying Manchester United outright should be questioned. 
but um i i think that the glazers are probably more divided than maybe is, is being yeah. uh publicized about this otherwise family matters with... often are <laughs> yeah i mean there's like five or six siblings and cousins and whatnot deciding on what to do with these shares um i do think though that the two brothers uh joel and um Joel and Avram, yeah. I, I think the two brothers would like to hold on to theirs, which is probably the most important part of the family in terms of deciding. So um, I, I would say the most likely outcome to me feels like it's going to be the rain group. But again, mm -hmm. I'm not an insider. I don't know all this information. I'm just basing this off of, you know, uh, people who very well could have sold the club by now for an, an outrageous amount of money. <laughs> And uh, for whatever reason, they've decided to hold on this long and draw it out. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because it's very often that you see fans now kind of have this, you know, ownership out mentality when things aren't going well. And we certainly saw a good amount of that with, with Manchester United and the Glazers over the years. I'm curious to see if this comes to pass and, and the Glazers truly do sell their, their, their stake and, and give over majority ownership. You know what that next group looks like because we if we see anything with Chelsea, you know, just because you're getting a new ownership doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have you know the the club success that you'd expect to come with it. Do yeah, I think, think Chelsea and PSG are both the examples of money does not solve all your problems. In fact, yeah. it can create because both of those clubs are going to have you know financial fair play problems to deal with down the line as well. Everton like, like too. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, it's um. It's it's really hard to think about because, uh, you know, the, there's no clarity over it. And a club the size of Manchester United, if it's suddenly awarded that sort of spending power, I mean, is it, is it even going to feel real anymore? Or is it just going to be like someone playing FIFA yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the negotiation difficulty turned down? Yeah, it'll be interesting, too, because at that point, it's like, you know, between City and, and, and Newcastle and, you know, whoever else comes in, like it it won't just be united with that amount of money. It will be interesting to see because right. it almost becomes almost like a super league type deal where you have right. four or five clubs in one league that all have this, you know, almost like a cheat code level of, of, of money. Um, so will be something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, looking ahead, we will acknowledge that we are just approaching the end of July, not yet into August. So still plenty left to play out before the, uh, Premier League season kicks off. Well, let's talk about some some expectations, maybe some goals for the upcoming season. What do you think are some realistic expectations that you know fans can have from this Manchester United team going into the 2023-2024 campaign? I think the expectation is every year just to compete um, in whatever competition you can. I mean, uh, Wayne Rooney said some time ago, I mean, this was back when Sir Alex Ferguson was still manager, but he, he was he was asked a question sort of similar to that uh, about the League Cup after being knocked out. And it was like, you know, can you focus more on the Premier League now? Things like that. And he just pretty blankly said, when you're at Manchester United, you're supposed to win everything every year, you know, and that's certainly the expectation fans would still like to have, uh, but it is unfortunately no longer the reality. Um, I, I think, you know, hang in the Premier League as long as you can with City. Liverpool probably are back. Um, it, it it seems like 
you know, they won nine out of their last 10 games of the Premier League season. They, they, they're like Austin Powers when he got his mojo back. This yeah. is uh, this is a they very scary a team. They also got, uh, I mean, Dom- Dominic uh, Sobos ally from uh, RB Leipzig. Uh, Alexi McAllister coming in from Brighton. That reloads a midfield that was pretty lacking last season. And, uh, you know, the rest of the way they've got... Darwin Nunez has a season under his belt. He got some of the awkwardness out of the way and he started playing better. Mo Salah is world-class. You know, he's always going to be there. Cody Gakpo, there's a reason Man United wanted (laughs) really, really He showed it in that 7-0 win too. I mean, Gakpo, that may have been his best game. He certainly did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The Monday after that game, we had uh, our our friend of our podcast, Mark Kastner, who writes for the Liverpool SB Nation podcast i'm sure we were the only man united podcast that was willing to talk to a liverpool fan <laughs> after that but yeah he he had a lot of fun with us with that one um but yeah i i expect city you know we'll all will for the foreseeable future be number one i think liverpool is going to be back up there challenging and with arsenal you know maybe the way they stumbled last season means something but they certainly didn't get weaker with this transfer window they're having yeah um they've already i think they've spent the most so far right they've got yeah. At least, yeah, at least 50 million more than, than the next best club from what I can remember. Yeah, I'm not sure that they're done yet. And, you know, it's 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 another question with Newcastle. You know, are they are they getting better? Are they making lateral moves with some of these transfers? Uh, either way, I mean, they're a very tough nut to crack when it comes to, you know, playing defense and playing well in midfield. Uh, so, it, things are not getting easier from an outside perspective with Manchester United, but I think that they have the talent and the ambition to, to, you know, maybe win another couple cups again, maybe get to try to get to the cup final, make a run in the champions league and then stick around in the league as long as you can, as long as you qualify for top four. I think those are all realistic. Um, you know, it is going to be tough for them to kind of, you know, compete on all fronts. Like they're kind of were up to a point last season, right? You know, obviously you're, you're winning one domestic cup final, getting to uh, winning one domestic cup, getting to a final in the other. Um, I think there was a point where they were within like four points of, of Arsenal and, and city in midpoint of the mm-hmm. season. So there was almost even like a potential treble domestic treble in the, in the, in the works. And then obviously now taking a step up from Europa into champions league, that's a, a, a different beast. So I think those are all pretty realistic goals. Um, we have a segment that we like to do on here called buy or sell, where we'd like to kind of come up with potential scenarios or, or predictions and see if, uh, if we can get people to buy in on this or if they're going to sell it. So, uh, I'll give you the first one, uh, last season United finished with 75 points. Like we've mentioned, that was enough for third in the premier league. Do you buy or sell that United will finish with more premier league, more points in the premier league this season? It was a really tough thing about this one. Cause I feel like it's going to be about the same. So it's like, whatever I say, it may not even <laughs> really like it could be 74. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess I'll go with buy. But um, yeah, I, I I don't think they improve upon it that much. Uh, but I, I don't think they drop off that much either. Yeah. I mean, listen, again, it's it's not yet August. So we'll take these with a grain of salt, but we will revisit them at some point and just yeah. see maybe how close we got. So we'll, we'll put Colin down for it'll be close, but optimistic. We're buying it. Yeah. Next one, we'll go into uh, Europe. Obviously, United back in the Champions League again this season. Do you buy or sell United advancing beyond the first knockout stage in the Champions League? I'm going to buy on this one, too. Um, 
you know, we've seen even under Solskjaer, a lot of um, performances from this squad in cup competitions got them far. You know, they got to semifinals pretty often uh, domestically. The Europa League, they got to the final, and then this past season they got to the quarterfinal. So, um, I, I'm I'm thinking they they at the very least get past the round of sixteen. We could draw Atletico Madrid again, and it's like 180 minutes of suffer ball. <laughs> <We'd lose laughs> yeah, forget, but um, actually, no, I don't think we. I don't think it can happen because Atletico. Well, I was Madrid just gonna say, qualified. do you know what yeah. what pot you would be in for the draw? Like, is it are you guys a pot two team or have you dropped down to pot three? I think it's pot three. Okay. Um, Cause that kind of changes whether or not you have a good chance yeah, of winning your group. Be a or... really tough group. <laughs> yeah. But... Cause then you get stuck with the winners of, of somebody else's group and maybe you end up with like a, a really shitty Real Madrid draw. And it's like, you know, we're going to get another like uh was it PSG Dortmund yeah. group stage or something like that. Uphill the whole way. Nothing, nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Although at least if we draw PSG, they probably won't have a bad <laughs> True. Very true. Um, all right, we'll look at some some player goals for this season. I tried to make this one as close as I could. Uh, we all know Marcus Rashford is going to be the the uh, man that is going to be assigned with scoring goals for United this season. So I'm going to put two players together. I'm going to put Anthony and uh, Jaden Sancho. Do you think they can combine for more goals than Marcus Rashford next season? Jaden Sancho looked pretty good in preseason and that match against Arsenal had a little bit more pace than maybe we've, we've seen in recent months. And that's kind of what we expected from him when he came over from Dortmund. Um, so maybe he has a resurgent season or maybe like we talked about with Anthony, maybe he's kind of bedded in now used to the premier league, used to Ten Hogs tactics and uh, he can kind of shine a little bit more than he did last season. Um, so do you buy the duo of Anthony and Jaden Sancho is scoring more goals combined than the man up top, Marcus Rashford. I'm going to sell, uh, but it's going to be a positive sell. Um, <laughs> uh, I It's been made clear by Eric Tenog over the last week that uh, playing Jaden Sancho as a center forward in preseason games has been intentional. Um, they want to see what he can do as a sort of false nine. He's looked good. He's, he's quick. He showed that against Arsenal on his goal. Um, and he's a really clever player on the ball. I think if if he's kind of operating next to Bruno Fernandez in the advanced midfield role, he could do well there. He creates space and opportunities for Marcus Rashford. But that's part of the reason why I'm selling. Um, I, I think if that's going to be the case, same with a young striker coming in, because it doesn't look like we're getting Harry Kane or Mbappe, unfortunately. Um, Rashford's going to have to be the primary goal scorer again. So I think Sancho and Anthony, even if they take steps up, uh, as players this next season, I think the focus is still going to be get rash for the ball, get him in front of goal, uh, create space for him. So um, I, I think Rashford, you know, maybe even improves upon 30 goals this next season. Yeah, that would be quite the return, but I, I certainly think it's doable. And, um, you know, Rashford was always a guy that I, I surprised. I was surprised we had that dip of form a few seasons ago. He always seemed like he was on that upward trajectory and, in a weird way, I'm kind of happy to see him, you know, thriving again because that's really what the expectations were for him for a couple of years there. Mm-hmm. And it, people forget too the the two years before his dip in form, he had 20 goals at least yeah. each season. So, yeah, um, even when he's not the primary goal scorer, he's you know one of the best at running into space behind defenses from that left hand side. And, um, and he- it seems like Eric Tenag is knows how to move the pieces to make that happen for him. 
he's probably also the, the heir apparent for Harry Kane in, in the England national team, right? Or is there somebody else that I'm missing? Yeah, you know, I, I we could do another full hour pod on Garrett Southgate's squad collection. Okay. <laughs> squad That's collection. also true. You're right. So, um, you know, as I, I would have loved to see Rashford more at the World Cup last year, just as a United fan and, uh, you know, England supporter. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll have to okay. see on TBD. <laughs> yes. That's that's very fair. All right, we have one more buy or sell for you, Colin. Then we'll let you go. A stat that I kind of was surprised at when I was doing some research for this podcast: Old Trafford was a fortress for United last season. Um, just one loss, and that was the very first match, the opening match against Brighton in the whole Premier League season last year. So I'm going to hit you with this one: buy or sell. Uh, Manchester United go undefeated at Old Trafford in the Premier League next year. Yeah, I'd love to buy it because it, it really does feel like Old Trafford has a fear factor again. But um, I mean, the Premier League's just so good, even even outside of the Big Six, if we can even call it that anymore, given yeah. you know Chelsea and Spurs. But you know, there there's just so many talented teams, and in particular, there's just been this influx of really smart, clever managers. Um, like you know, we see it Brighton. The Graham Potter was a bit of a find for them. And then as soon as he leaves, they go and get uh Deserby or yeah. Roberto Deserby, who you know has them playing lights out. Um really, really exciting players across the league. So unfortunately, I don't think they go undefeated at Old Trafford next season. But um that that I don't think that'll be a knock against them or the crowd there. It they're really behind the new manager, I think last season. Uh, it, it really showed in those games against City uh, early on in the season, Liverpool and Arsenal. I mean, that was the loudest it, it seemed like Old Trafford had been since the Sir Alex days. Um, it, it really seems like it's a good place to watch football again. So excited for that. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think if you had bought that, I wouldn't have, you know, gone to, to bat against you on it. But I think it would have been a very optimistic choice because, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like you said, any team on any given day in the Premier League right now can can pull out a, a win. Um, so it it was very impressive to me when I saw like just how long uh, United managed to go unbeaten at home. All right. Well, Colin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was awesome. We really appreciate it. Can you just remind our listeners one more time where they can find you or if they want to hear more on uh, your Manchester United thoughts and opinions? Yeah, so uh, our podcast is called The Fergie Fledglings. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, uh, you know, Stitcher, where, wherever you get your podcast. Um, I don't know if Stitcher's still a thing. I may have made myself Oh, it is. Old. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> score. Um, and then you can find my writing as well as the writing of uh, many others at uh, – thebusbybabe.com uh it's sb nations manchester united site so be sure to check us out um we've got some cool stuff coming out i got to interview brian robson so we'll have uh, we've got a piece out on that and uh we'll have a little bit of that on our podcast coming out soon and then a conversation of me stammering through questions with uh aaron wambasaka rafael varan and diogo delo um yeah, I was, uh, you know, very nice. I mean, there at the end of the day, I got eight minutes with them and uh, I was very, uh, it was very hot at the top of a bus in New Jersey <laughs> on the side yeah. of a road somewhere. But uh, you know what? It was, it was a really good experience. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have some good content out for you and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Colin the shots 95. So All right. uh, thanks for having me, Scott. This has been yeah. great. Well, Colin is cooking. He's got tons out there. Please give him a follow. Give him a subscribe. 
Um, but that'll do it for today's podcast. Uh, everyone, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week with another episode of State of the Pod or State of the Club podcast. <laughs>